Piper Electric has been a part of the Denver community for over 35 years. Their reputation of being fairly priced, trustworthy, and dependable has allowed them to become one of the best Denver electrical contractor companies in the market. We believe Piper is the best because of their professionalism, because of their capability, because of their integrity, and because of the relationship we have built over the last year and a half with several of their key managers. That was Jim. He's been a customer of Piper Electric for over a year now and loves it so much that he recommends his own clients to them. Sometimes customers will ask us if we know of somebody who can be their regular electrician where they could call for anything from a small job to something much larger, maybe a remodel. And so we certainly have preferred people to Piper and Piper to them. From residential, commercial, and industrial, Piper Electric can handle all of your electrical needs. They've done actually everything from repairing a small wiring situation with a circuit breaker panel to adding additional circuits, adding parking lighting. So really, they have become a one-stop shop for all of our needs. If you call today and use the promo code BSN, you will get $25 off your next service call. That's 303-646-6765 or go to piperelectric.com. He's 500. How is he 500? Is zero and zero 500? Zero and zero. Zero zero. Zero and zero zero. Zero. It's a zero point zero zero. You can divide zero by zero and get 500. Please don't include this part. Nobody out. Three and two on Charlotte. Jokic gets it across the timeline. Gets a high pick and pop with Murray. Lindsey breaking through. Taken away by Nathan McKinnon. Two on two with Landis Welcome into the Denver Sports Podcast presented by Breckenridge Brewery, your official BSN Denver beer. I'm here with the Core Four of BSN. How do you guys like wow. that nickname? Yeah. Okay. Core okay. Four. You're down with I'm that. Down with that. Yeah. <laughs> That's cool. I've got AJ Hafley, Harrison Wind, Drew Creaseman, and Ryan Konigsberg with me. How's it going, guys? Good. It's good. going. <laughs> <laughs> good. Drew, it didn't seem like that was a confident good. So, you know. It's still baseball season. There are still <laughs> games, so I like that. That's actually a question I wanted to ask you. Oh, okay, right off the bat. Wow. When I cover a bad team, which I have done many times. Sure. By the time they're, like, confirmed trash, <laughs> and I'm not saying the Rockies are confirmed trash, but by the time the season is dead, there's only, like, a few more games. Like, you know, like, if the Broncos turn out to be really bad this year, it'll probably only be, like, week like week eight would be the earliest that you're like, oh, they, they, it's just over and done. They're playing for draft picks. For you, how many games are left in the season? It's like 46, I think. 46, there's, 40, yeah. <laughs> there's like three times more than I can just even possibly have. Right. How do you approach it? Yeah, well, I, I think for me, one of the things that's great is that, and it's often been said, you know, baseball is just a collection of individual matchups, right? And one of the things that's nice about this particular team is that I still think that their future is bright. So there are a lot of things you've got to watch for individually. Ryan McMahon has been one that I pointed out before. I was even sure the team was going to fall out of it or not. I said one way or another beyond the team's success, the emergence of Ryan McMahon as an everyday baseball player as a as a, a part of the core, the, the core four, <laughs> but they've got more than that for the Rockies. Um, that'll be the biggest story of this final stretch. And so I think you start seeing things like that. You got to watch individual pitchers. Is Kyle Freeland coming out of the funk that he was in? Uh, Peter Lambert. It'd be a little bit tougher if I didn't see some light at the end of the tunnel back when I covered the, the Rockies when they were bad and there was less hope at the major league level i spent a lot of time looking at the minor leagues and that's how i learned all about david Dahl and ryan maltapia and john gray and kyle freeland before they even showed up ryan so McMahon. that's and ryan mcmahon and that, that's one of the nice things about baseball is there's like a million dudes and and there's like five minor league teams and there's a lot going on 
And we still get to watch the best third baseman in the game, uh, a true generational talent every single day. Uh, I do think sometimes people underrate that. I've seen a lot of lately the Rockies getting criticized for over the years being too loyal to their you know, star players and as opposed to always wheeling and dealing. But uh, sometimes it's nice to know as a fan or as a media person, anybody, that every day you go to the park, you get to watch a one-of-a-kind generational talent at the top of his game in his prime. That's part of the reason, I think, why we all enjoy sports. I think from a journalistic standpoint, if I was covering a really bad Nuggets team towards the end of the season, it would be not really about the games. Like, yeah. it, it maybe that would be a relief if, if you're covering a really long baseball season where it's not as much about the games over the last couple months. It's just more about the storylines. Right. Well, and and it's funny you mentioned that, Harrison, because on BSNDenver.com, <laughs> subscribers <laughs> soon can uh, can li- I'm, I've got an article. I did a one on one conversation with Bud Black about the strike zone, which I think you, you guys know has always been like a passion of mine, the developing modernity of that. I, I talked to Daniel Murphy about his weird hopping around stuff that he does on the field. Because, like you're talking about the storylines. It's not really about the race anymore. It's about the characters in the clubhouse. Uh, I got one coming up talking to Garrett Hampson about that home run he hit off of Max Scherzer. Is it going to help the Rockies win the division or the wild card? No, but dude got to hit a home run off of one of the greatest to ever huck a rock toward home plate. That's pretty cool. I just think if you're a like if you're a BSN subscriber or a just a Drew Creaseman supporter, that was that was cool to hear. That was just well, because it, it's a it's amazing. It's, it's awesome to me that you have that perspective on things and and are able to do that because I see you tweeting like, well, I woke up today and there's still a baseball game and I'm happy about that. It's like that that keeps me interested from a fan perspective. AJ, what do you think? You have, you've had to deal with your fair share of Avs long bad seasons. Yeah, that 48-point year was yep. <laughs> uh, a unique experience with one of the worst teams in modern history. Mm-hmm. Um, it was – it sucked. Like, being around the guys, they, they weren't having any fun. They didn't like playing hockey. They didn't like playing hockey together. Uh, they didn't like the coaching staff. They didn't like each other. It was really just a, it w- it was just a toxic environment to be around uh, all together. And uh, the, way that, the way that you kind of approach it every day is you try and find some, some angle to talk about, something that you haven't dug into before. And we spent a lot of our time not talking about that abs team. We st- spent a lot of time talking about uh, draft prospects and, mm-hmm. and you know guys in the pipeline that they'd already drafted uh, because there wasn't a lot to say about a veteran team that was at the bottom of the NHL. Well, speaking of that, what's the environment like in the clubhouse, Drew, right now? That's one of the things that does impress me is that the clubhouse really isn't – like that i and i've been in ones that were and and i'll go ahead and and say it this way because the two things aren't unrelated in the troy tulowitzki era when they were playing poorly and it felt toxic to to use that word i think that's the right word it it doesn't right now for the rockies and i think they do understand uh some of what's gone on in there and and what i said earlier about the core that they have moving forward those guys believe in each other and it's easier to because just a year ago they won 91 games yeah. so I, I think in the back yeah. of their minds like Arenado and black like are, they're not going to be pointing fingers at each other no one's pointing fingers at trevor's story right the core of the team knows who they are some of them might be just as frustrated as the rest of us at you know the names the jake mcgee's the wade davis is some of these the bullpen yeah the bolt pretty much yeah. the entire bullpen <laughs> brian shaw comes in and and they have to suppress rolling their eyes like god here we go Right. I'm sure there's some of that. But I also think that as ball players, they understand that that's a far more fixable problem than, you know, a team that's not competitive because they just don't have enough talent. Yeah. This is why this conversation, especially what AJ said, is why I always say any beat writer who tells you I don't care if the team wins or loses is lying. Right. Because in the end, the job is better and more fun and easier to do when the team is good and everyone's happy like i always equate it to just like a workplace would you rather work in i'll put it right here in bsn denver it's a lot easier to work here when things are going great and everything is going well (laughs) you don't want to work in a place where everything is going the, the opposite of what you're trying to and everyone's working really really hard and there's no fruits to the labor and while it's a little bit different because they aren't our coworkers. The players are our colleagues. We work together on a daily basis, and it is not fun 
to walk in there and try and do your job and get them to talk when they're in a bad mood, they're depressed, they're upset, it's and they're not having fun. Yeah. You know, some of the some of the memories that I have of covering the Avs, uh, my most like vivid memories were the season after the 48-point year where they made that 95-point playoff run that nobody on earth saw coming. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, clinched in game 82, the last day of the season, head-to-head, had to win in regular – like, it was all the stakes, right? And, like, I'll never forget that locker room. And I can tell you, I don't even remember the game 82 locker room from the 48-point season. I don't remember what that was like. It had been game 82 for 30 games. <laughs> well, you probably don't remember what it was like because it was just not very – memorable well it was just the same it was it was copy and nothing paste. really stuck it out just it, didn't matter right. man it had been nothing had mattered for such a long time everybody was already focused on the draft lottery which of course they lost which ended up being great for them but it was it was miserable but like that game 82 locker room the most memorable thing that i have since i started covering the abs that that experience, that the seeing the happiness of the guys who experienced uh, that amount of losing and then how happy they were the next year. And it really is like it's it, I don't care so much about the winning and losing so much as I care about the, the team that I'm covering remaining interesting. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if all you do is lose, you're not interesting. And and really, I, I don't even know on the flip side, like the Tampa Bay Lightning last year winning 60 some odd games. I have no idea how you cover that team and stay interested in that either. They just went in and waxed the NHL. And then, of course, they go, they lose four games in a row in the playoffs. Like, that got interesting. Well, that's but probably what it was like to cover the Warriors for the last right, five seasons. Like, it's like you can't criticize everything because everything they did was so right. They won almost every game. They assembled their roster perfectly. It's right. like you want to you want to stay unbiased but at a point there's nothing you can like take <laughs> apart it reminds me of a of a funny thing that happened so after the broncos won the super bowl in 2015 it was me and brandon cristal on the bsn broncos podcast and if you remember behind trevor simeon they started the season 4-0 and we had a conversation when they were 4-0 of like are broncos fans going to not I don't know if the phrase was lose interest, but like, is it becoming too normal? Is winning becoming too normal now? Like, oh, you just throw in Trevor Simeon and it's still all good. Like, there are no problems. Everything's good. And then, of course, well, everything was downhill from there, and now we are where we are today. But it's just funny to think about that we had that conversation. Yeah. Like, oh, is is winning becoming boring? Right. Well, I don't know if you were covering the Warriors, like. You were covering probably, you know, arguably the best team of all time. Yeah. So I don't think it was boring, but it had to be a little like repetitive. I bet the regular you, season, like, it goes, yeah. you're going, you're going to like Oklahoma City in like, yeah. March. Well, that was one of my big like, realizations this and year. It's like, oh my god, covering man, the playoffs for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> you're like, do I really have to go yeah. to this game? Covering yeah. the Nuggets in the playoffs for the first time. Like, the regular season matters for for some teams, but in the grand scheme of things, like, the regular season is just. Uh, like a waiting period, you're standing in line just waiting for the postseason. Yeah, that's it's, what it's, really that's matters. Crazy. It's a vehicle to get you to what what yeah. they really. Nobody care about. cares about the regular. And season. it's like the same thing as the games don't matter. Like what you were saying about when the team gets really bad, when they're so good, it's like whether they win or lose this game on a Wednesday night in Oklahoma City ha- does right. not matter at all. Right. Yeah. It's it's hard. I think from that perspective to try and cover it, like we expect the Avs to be really good this year. I don't think that at any point it'll get boring just because the recent history hasn't dictated that. But, like, fast forward four years, if they've maybe, like, like where the Nashville Predators are right now, they're expected to be one of the top teams. They've won division titles a couple times in a row where the Dodgers are. The regular season just can't be that interesting to these guys. The Avs right. have been – they've been there. I re- specifically remember, like, taking the Avs, winning the division – being in the playoffs. Well, I mean, they set the NHL record for most division titles in a row. Right. Like, I remember. So that was, like, copy and paste for them for their first 10 years in Denver. That's what I was going to say. It's the first 10 years. Like, you can't say it was, like, like you took it for granted. It was literally the only thing we ever knew about hockey was just having a dominant team. And that's one of the things that's actually super cool about baseball and maybe part of why my disposition can be like you were talking about earlier, Ryan, because it's like, 
there are 46 more games to go, and the, the Rockies aren't going to make the run, but they're seven games out. All the greatest stories in the history of baseball are the 2007 Rockies going on that run. People forget that the shot heard around the world that Bobby Thompson hit way back in the day, one of the most famous home runs in the history of baseball, came at the end of one of those runs. If you're seven games out with seven to go, you're not dead yet, and you can run off a week because there's going to be games every single day, day, and that's how excitement can build in baseball. And so while – it's incredibly unlikely the Rockies do anything. That's one of the reasons why I, I can still get excited. There's a baseball game every day because you just never know. Those things happen, and, and other teams go on these epic collapses. Ask the New York Mets how many seven games <laughs> yeah. a seven-game lead is. Like They, they know that you know, number well, well right? What I like about this Rockies team is that there's enough talent to keep you interested day to day. Like I still turn on the game every day because there's something to watch. Yeah. I don't know how Baltimore Orioles fans are doing. <laughs> right. But, right. like – I with the Rockies like I you get to watch Nolan you get to watch Story and Blackman and there's enough talent there where you can talk yourself into today could be a lot of fun and then you know when the bullpen gets involved then maybe you turn it off and go to something else right Bachelor in Paradise is waiting for (laughs) (laughs) but it's like like there's there's real talent there to watch and I it's easy for me anyway uh, to to buy into. I get to watch these guys play that I like and I like rooting for. And, you know, for me, David Dahl was a big part of that. And so him going down was like, that was heartbreaking. That's that's a bummer for everybody. Most especially David Dahl, obviously. The pictures that that came out of him, like just bawling and Nolan, like holding, like that was just, oh, he just knows. Yeah. It's it's like again with this. I know it's just, it's sports. It's unfair. And I think that's what people didn't understand. I saw a couple of people say like, really? He had that reaction to an ankle sprain. And it's like, it's not about the ankle sprain. It's yeah. about the cumulative effect yeah, of all of these injuries. about the last six years of just god-awful luck that he's had. Yeah. Like he should be a regular all-star and one of the best outfielders in baseball, set and forget. Yeah. And instead, he's battling himself as much as the game. And he'd finally got it. He'd been doing well this season. Yeah. And then, then and this had to the happen. The guy works his ass off. He's a great great guy like he deserves to have good things happen to him in life does everything the right way and it's and they're all so fluky and he hates talking about it he's told me a couple of times you know it's just i hate answering these questions about the injuries man oh god that's got to be so annoying for him yeah like i i would just rather talk about literally anything else and then I, th- I thought the saddest irony of the whole thing was he was doing this interview with us and he had his leg up on this scooter that we had seen him use last year when he had missed about a month and a half of time and he had actually bought it and kept it for the team in case anybody else uh, would end up needing oh, to use it and now he's using that's so heartbreaking. And then, and then, as he as he wheeled out from us after we had all kind of put our, our recording stuff away, uh, he turned around and, and he looked at me and he goes, "I'll be back. I always come back." Oh wow, like, that's kind of dope. Dude. Talk uh, talk about a uh, uh, a, a kicker to your yeah. eventual David Dahl comeback story. Yeah. Yeah. When you write exactly. the foreword for his autobiography. Uh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Never forget that time. In a quiet around. Rockies clubhouse. Right. <laughs> and it could be like AJ was talking about next year, the Doll's healthy. On McManus an August afternoon. Next step. And uh, we'll look, think back on that moment and be like, man, David Dahl became a superstar when he returned because he's got all the tools. Everything sucks today, but it's, it might be building towards yeah. a better tomorrow yeah. for the Rockies. Yeah. Well, since we were talking about environments, we'll move on to the Broncos. There's been two fights. In, pra- in at training camp recently, what's what's going on there? Only one of them was really notable. Fights happen in training camp. Uh, if you watch Hard Knocks this year, I guarantee Wait, you there'll be a. a which scene. one was notable? The one where the guy hucked the helmet thirty yards or not? Oh no, that one wasn't notable. A- actually, they both laughed about it afterwards. Connor McGovern, whose helmet was tossed, was like, "Yeah, it's just Derek being Derek. He kind of had to put a little pizzazz on the end of it." Then I talked to Derek about it. He's like, "Yeah, you know." If I'm going to get in a fight, I at least have to make a spectacle out of it. <laughs> the one that was notable, of course, sure. is Cortland Sutton and Emmanuel Sanders going at it because as as far as I know, I've never seen uh, two players in the same position group fight at a practice. Joe Flacco said he's never seen two posi- players in the same position group uh, go at a practice. I talked to multiple other NFL players who said they'd never seen it. That one's concerning because those guys, you need like you need – Cortland Sutton to like Emmanuel Sanders and you need Emmanuel Sanders to like Cortland Sutton enough to teach him a few things and help him progress so you never want to see that um it sounds like it's been settled a little bit I think certain 
obviously they had to they had to settle it and i'm putting air quotes in the air because of you know just the pr of it uh you just hope that that hatchet can be buried and and it's something that Vic Fangio really, really doesn't like, which I think is the other fight you were talking about. Yeah, where Vic Fangio pushed the guy out of practice. So why'd they fight? I don't know. Well, why did Emmanuel and yeah. Cortland? Yeah, what, what was the So the I'm only theorizing point? here. Um, but going back to – this actually involves BSN Denver directly. Going back to Emmanuel Sanders' pro, pro camp this summer, Zach Stevens, my guy, love him, said to Emmanuel Sanders, what do you envision your role on the team being this year? And, and it was because of something that Cortland Sutton said, which I'll get to in a second. And Emmanuel's like, what do you mean? What do you think? What do you think my role is? Mm-hmm. What do you think? And, and Zach's like, well, Cortland Sutton's been saying that he wants to be the number one receiver this year, so I just wanted to see where you stood on, on that. And he's like, well, what do you think? Who do you think is the number one receiver? Right. And – that's always fun, by the yeah. way. <laughs> Those are always that. so tough to answer because I think all of us at this table have like been on the receiving yep. end yeah. of that from uh-huh. a player. Like, put the claws away. It's not like that, man. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And uh, the funny thing is Zach, Zach didn't back down. He never gave an answer, which I was impressed with because I probably would have been like, oh, yeah, it was you. Because yeah. it's the truth. Um, but Zach was just like, I don't know. I, I, that's why I asked him. That's why I wanted to hear your opinion on it. And he's like, well, I think you know the answer to that. So anyways, press conference ends. Emmanuel Sanders, being the politician that he is, goes over to Zach, puts his arm around him. He's like, ah, oh, you know, I'm just playing, bro, like, blah, blah, blah. Mm. But minutes later, I have since learned that Emmanuel went up to a different media member after Zach and I had left to go record the podcast and was like, yo, what the was that about? And the media uh, member told him, hey, man, uh, Cortland Sutton's been saying, you know, every time he meets with the media, hey, I'm ready to be a number one. I know what it takes to be a number one. I'm going to be the number one. And so I think it goes all the way back to that started brewing and Corton Sutton never backed off of that. Like I guarantee you, if I went and asked him right now, Hey, how do you envision your role? I'm the, I want to be the number one receiver. He's never said like, I am the number one receiver, but it's clearly, you know, him saying that. Now there are a lot of unwritten rules in baseball, but everyone should want to be the number one, right? Is he breaking an unwritten football rule by saying this? Okay. But the fact of it is he is not even close (laughs) <laughs> it's like it's like me saying I want to be the, the number one abs writer at BSN. Like right. I'm a long ways behind AJ. I can't just say that and want to be it. Uh, and so I think that's a little part of it. Okay. So then fast forward to the actual practice. There's multiple false starts in a row on the offensive line, and Emmanuel took it upon himself to berate them. And I think – I think – at some point, as he was kind of yelling at them, you guys got to get your you-know-what together, blah, blah, blah. Cortland said, all right, bro, all right, that's enough. Mm-hmm. And I don't think Emmanuel mm. took to that right. uh, very kindly. And he said something along the lines of, like, I'm trying to get these guys right. You haven't earned blank in this league. And then it was, you know, they were off. That's what it seemed like to me from afar. I obviously didn't know the first part of that story, but the second part, I mean, how long has Emmanuel Sanders been in the league? Ten years? Ten years, yes. So, and he's probably – Correct me if I'm wrong, but the one of the longest tenured Broncos. He is the longest tenured Bronco on offense. Right. And Cortland Sutton, what was just drafted last year. Yep. So that's what it seemed like to me. Like, why yeah, are you telling you me tell how me. to lead yep. these guys? Like, yeah, you yeah. just got here. I've been here forever. I've done stuff in the league. You haven't done anything. Yeah, exactly. And so hopefully they can they can move on from that um the, the one thing i said is like Cortland sutton definitely should have been shouldn't have been trying to fight emmanuel sanders and i think it was maybe emmanuel who initiated it but like Cortland sutton's production this season is a hundred percent reliant on emmanuel sanders emmanuel sanders production isn't really reliant on Cortland sutton so mm-hmm. that's that and then of course there was the, the, the one Vic fangio yeah. one was Vic fangio has had enough of the fighting so yesterday when two linemen went at it he grabbed deshaun williams who is not a small defensive lineman from under his pads and personally escorted him to the sideline. It was it was that good was stuff. some high school football coach stuff, man. That's something <laughs> like I would have seen dudes back in the day. Is that Fangio like ripped? No. <laughs> well, we wouldn't know because he wears a, a right. baggy crew yeah. neck. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned this guy's just benching like 250 on the side. Yeah, it's funny that you mentioned a high school coach doing that because Zach Stevens told a uh, story on our podcast today about how. His high school coach literally lifted him up and threw him down a hill. Wow. <laughs> wow. I remember in high school one time feeling really bad because I was playing defensive end and I kept blowing up this offensive lineman. And Humble coach, brag. <laughs> Humble brag. And the, and the coach came out <laughs> and grabbed that kid and, like, threw him 
backwards really hard to show how he wasn't planting his feet and how he was just uh, getting pushed around or whatever. And I was like, ooh, he might have been hurt. Like, that's the, like, coach knows all scary, your fault. Man. I know, I know. I felt terrible. All right, before we keep going, I've got to tell you all about Total Bev's 30% off deal. That's right, Total Bev is giving the BSN fam 30% off your purchase of $25 or more using the promo code BSN2019 online or on the Total Beverage app. As you may or may not know, Total Bev delivers to most of the metro area, from Lakewood to Boulder to Aurora and Brighton. They have the lowest prices in the state. Plus, they now offer CBD products. That's right, from drinks to gummies, you can enjoy CBD products on your next visit. Don't let this offer pass you by. Order today and receive 30% off your purchase of $25 or more. And better yet, don't leave the comfort of your own home and get it delivered. Okay, so we are going to take the best quality from each coach here in Denver and build a super coach. Let's start off with you, Harrison. What sport does this coach coach? What? What I'll sport does oh, the super coach coach? I guess coach? that does have to. He, he, no, it, do, it doesn't matter. But it's Calvin Ball. <laughs> What's that? He coaches Calvin Ball. What's Calvin What's Ball? What's that? <laughs> Everyone's no very confused. Calvin okay. Ball. Is that what Samus plays? I guess. AJ, you have the floor. I, I guess <laughs> we don't have anybody in here outside of me that read Calvin and Hobbes growing up, so. I mean, no. I like read it was, it, it, was his, it was his made-up sport that they made up the rules every time uh, they played, and uh, it was whatever. It fit whatever they needed it to do. I love those games where you just change the rules to make yourself win. Yeah, well, that was that was the thing. Is that <laughs> I was really Hops, good at those as a kid. They would yeah, go right. back and forth and change the rules depending on whichever one of them had the upper hand at the time. So, Fantastic. Our, sounds our, like good writing. Our uber coach here should be the coach of Calvin Ball. All right. Or, or a super coach that could coach – Every team. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. We well, can at the end we can decide which team he would be the best for. I like that. Well, All right. Michael Malone's best quality actually like can play in every sport. Like it could factor into every sport because I was gonna say he just has the best quotes out of like <laughs> obviously any coach in Denver, <laughs> maybe any coach in the NBA he just spits straight fire in the post game. Take uh, that interviews. L on the way out. But um I'm just gonna say his ability to connect with his guys because that was the thing you really noticed about Mike Mullen when he got to Denver he made a point to really align himself with the Nuggets young core like traveling to Serbia every summer to visit Nikola Jokic not every coach would do that yeah riding Jokic's horses riding Jokic's (laughs) horses um like fishing with him on the canal that runs through Jokic's hometown that's so cool. he even went to Bosnia to to bond with Yusef Nurkic when when Nurkic was still in Denver and um no, he visits his guys during the offseason, visits Gary Harris, Jamal Murray. So, I mean, he made a point to really align himself with those guys. I wish, I could, his, go, I, wish I could go on extravagant European vacations and, and consider it part of my job. Right? <laughs> well, isn't, isn't that like the anti-Brian Shaw? Probably, yeah. Like, instead of, instead of like, rapping – the uh, the game plan or whatever it was. Brian Shaw like probably read like the idiot's guide to connecting with millennials. <laughs> oh my god! How do I reach these kids? <laughs> Where Michael Malone just like did what common sense would say to do. Yeah. But no, that, that's what he did when he got to Denver, and I think it's still paying off for him now because everybody in that locker room loves him. Like Jamal Murray said last year that he hopes Malone is his coach forever, mm-hmm. and um. So uh, I think like that was really a, a big reason why like the Nuggets culture has been so good over the last couple of years because Malone's helped set it like day in day out. So it's not even Nuggets players though. Doesn't LeBron love him? Right. That's so another thing too. Peop- like people. You ask people around the league who have played for Mike Malone, from Steph Curry, Draymond Green to LeBron, Cousins. Like, no coach has ever bonded with Cousins, ever. <laughs> but somehow him and Mike Malone are on good terms. Um, so that's probably his best quality. Personable. Yeah, he's personable. He connects well with his guys. He's relatable. He's it, just – And that's especially important in his sport. Yeah, it seems, like, it seems like the most important, like, of the, of the, the four that we're talking about, like, the one where connecting goes the furthest. Because in the NBA, if – your players don't respect you as a coach if they're not gonna take what you say seriously and buy into what you're selling i mean you're done you don't stand a chance what about bud black drew i'll move on to you 
Well, he's, he's got a lot of those similar qualities. Uh, well, actually, one of the things that makes him great inside of his own game, since we're building the super coach, you can't say, like, well, he really understands pitching. That's one of the things that's actually, like, the biggest <laughs> reason why they've been to back-to-back postseason appearances. And, and it's tough to make that case right now, too, because pitching has been such a problem this year. But from a, anytime, anytime. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He wants to, he wants to chip uh, in. There's only so much you can do from a strategic standpoint, but about – 40 to 50% of pitching is strategy, and there's no one in the game of baseball who's smarter about it than Bud Black, and they've needed that. But for something that's maybe more applicable to everyone else, it's similar to Harrison's, but I'll apply it less to the players. I think that's true, but to like everyone else around the apparatus. I think that's one of the things we've all learned as we do this more and more, that there are a lot of people uh, from us, like the, you got to take care of the press, but you got to take care of all the people in security. You got to take care of all of the, uh, yeah, just everybody around uh, the the PR staff. You got to treat those people kindly. You got to make yourself accessible and available. He's come on the podcast and just given me twenty minutes. Of, I didn't have to tell him what we were going to talk about, and he's like. Uh, when he first, I'll, I'll tell you a great story that I think uh, illustrates what I'm trying to say. When Patrick Lyons first joined us here at BSN Denver, I took him to meet Bud Black. I said, "Buddy, this is our new guy. It's my new right hand man. It's Patrick Lyons." He said, "Great, Patrick. Give me the five minute story of your life. Who are you? Where are you from? Wow. What do you do? What do you know? What are your priorities in the game of baseball?" And it ended up being more than five minutes. It, it was ten minutes because he had follow up questions. He wanted to get to know this guy. He uses everybody's names. If you watch the post game. You know, he always uses my name when he's answering questions and, and other reporters that he knows. That. And, like, he's just so good at all that stuff. He knows all the security people. Uh, uh, it's joked around a lot down there that Bud Black could run for office and be elected mayor of Denver very easily. And I think he could be. It's it's similar to Malone. Like, he doesn't give those quotes, like those fire quotes. He's, he's almost the opposite of that. Like, he's super patient and measured and reasonable with everybody and everybody likes bud black that's the one thing that's similar again if you go around the league and you talk to players managers everyone has respect for bud black so he's the politician he is you you take his political skills uh, absolutely and patience is one of those it's more important in baseball than other sports but you've never seen bud black lose it in front of the media. We saw him slam a door once this year, and everyone was like, did you guys see that? Are we all going to tweet that he slammed that door? And we did. Every single one of us, it was a ter- it was one of those Padres losses where they're up by six and lost late, and he was as frustrated as anybody would be, but his ability to show patience under the highest, most intense pressure situations. Well, that's especially important in baseball, yeah. where no you're patience. playing 160-plus yeah. games. Can't be flipping out every <laughs> ten or fifteen, right? Yeah. My favorite. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite Bud Black story is one of the first few times that I was um, at the game. He before the game, he just didn't even want to. He was like, "Oh, this is off the record. Put the cameras away. Everyone, just pull up a chair." He had his feet on the table and was just very casually. He's like, "Oh, this is off the record. I just wanted to chat some baseball with you guys," and went on for like an hour. Yeah. Just talking about baseball. Yeah, with a core group of reporters and sharing some information that was going to be useful, not publishable at the time. But it's, yeah, I mean, it's amazing how accessible he is. Yeah, I've just, I've been in, eat, or except the Nuggets, but, I, or, but I've interacted with Coach Malone and I've never had that type of experience. Yeah, Michael Malone will do that from time to time too, after, after practice or whatnot, just, just talk hoops. Like talk about what happened at All Star Weekend and just kind of share stuff from that. So that's really. And you cool. call him Coach, Coach. You call him Coach. What do you? Yeah. Yep. I, call I call him, him Buddy. <laughs> it's it's weird. Like I've always called. Like what? But you can't call him Coach in baseball. That's like a faux pas. Right. You're yeah. like literally not allowed to. But in basketball, Wait, it's what weird. do you mean literally not allowed to? Like I did it one time uh, to Walt Weiss, and another reporter was like, "We don't do that in this sport. Managers will get really because they're not coaches; they're managers." managers. What up, Mange? So you either call them by their first name, or some people call them Skip. If, if you're on a good skip. enough skipper, because that's the, all right, all right. I love calling. I love, I love calling Skip, but no. Very early on, Bud was like, "I ah, just call me Buddy." It was like his second time I ever talked to him. And everybody assumes Michael Malone goes by Mike, but he prefers Michael. Hmm. So you yeah. either call him Michael or Coach. Don't call him Mike. Yikes! Yeah. I probably would have done that. Well, like, I, no, I'd call him Coach. Tons of coach. people. Tons of people still do, but. He prefers Michael. All right, AJ. 
Um, well, you kind of danced around mine, so I'm glad that you sort of left it still for me to, to, to use. But uh, really, Bedner's composure, just his his forward thinking, uh, his refusal to let his team feel bad for itself. You know, bad things happen. Like, you, you get unlucky. You know, calls go against you, bounces go against you. Um, and he just turns the page. And he just says, okay, well, that's a thing that's happened, and now we'll deal with it and we'll move on. Uh, so I think his his composure, his level-headedness, where uh, he's very focused on the job in front of you and whatever has happened is is over. It doesn't matter if it happened 10 seconds ago or 10 minutes ago, 10 weeks ago. It's done. And you don't dwell on, on things that have happened. You focus on uh, getting getting the job done in front of you and not obsessing over mistakes that have already been made once you make the mistake it's you can't unmake it just make sure you don't do it again next time such a good quality to have in a in a leader yeah. in any leader in any role i think a question how does he rank in the connecting to players category pretty highly um they the abs the abs leadership group uh has got a little bit of the <laughs> <laughs> what's, a, what's a polite way to put this? Uh, they've been burned by some coaches, so they were a little. They were fragile when Bednar got there. They were not comfortable at all um, connecting because they thought that Patrick Wall was their guy, and Patrick Wall bounced on them. Right, and he bounced on them in large part because of them, and they took that personally. Um, I think that was very obvious in the whole Matt Duchesne fiasco at the end there. Um, that just burned burned bridges and relationships and Bedner works very hard to not do that. He tries to build them up. He tries to connect with his guys. Uh, he, he shows up and he spends all summer talking to him, laying out expectations. This is who we want you to be next season. Uh, you need to come in with a certain level of conditioning that we expect from our guys. And if you don't have it, there won't be any room for you. You know, there's, there's, it's a it's an atmosphere of accountability now, and I think I think this leadership group needed a disciplinarian, but not one that was extreme about it. You know, some of these, a couple of these guys were were there when Joe Sacco was there, and he was hated by everybody because he was a disciplinarian to to the an extreme degree. And then Wall was a players' coach, and then Wall, when he turned on you, turned on you. He was done. You know, and and Bedner is sort of like the happy medium there where he connects well, but he also draws a line in the sand and says, you've got to perform. You've got to you've got to live up to my expectations. Otherwise, you're you're not you're not playing for me. I think that's a problem. Talking of Wah, a problem with having a really good player become a coach because really good players don't get why guys who are talented aren't also really good you know what i'm saying yeah well i mean how many how many like hall of fame players have also become hall of fame coaches whereas some of the best coaches that you ever see are guys that backup were catchers grinders mm-hmm. you know jared bender never even made the nhl he was an echl lifer as a as like a bottom pairing like barely playing professional hockey uh, defense, but the guy played roller hockey in the nineties. Right, like but Patrick Waugh never had to worry about why he wasn't reaching his potential as a right. player. So he doesn't understand why player X, who should be really good, isn't producing. And I feel like that's why you said once he's done with you, he's done with you. And that yeah. happens in locker rooms all the time. And a perfect example with the Broncos playing the Seahawks this this week is Paxton Lynch. Like. Once those players realized he wasn't putting the work in and just because he was talented in a first-round pick didn't mean anything at that level, he was dead to them. I used to, like I said it all the time. He was a dead man walking in that locker room. They didn't talk to him. They didn't hang out with him because players are quick to give up on other players when they know that they aren't putting in the same you know, well, they level know. that they did. Like they, they know they're in the room. Like the best, the, the best advice that I, I – some of the best advice I could give to like a, a journalist that would just be starting out going into their first locker room is watch how the players treat the players Man. because there are no secrets there. There's no lying there. You know, Emmanuel Sanders can't help himself with Cortland Sutton and they, you know, they try and play it off best you can, but it's there. You see it, you know, you know, players will not lie to the players. It is, it's all above board with those guys. And if you pay attention, you'll know. 
who's who's respected and who's real and who's not. And you'll know how those relationships uh, take hold and help shape chemistry and the room and the how a head coach handles that also plays a huge role in it. There was a reason. It's it's absolutely not a coincidence the Avs took off when Matt Duchesne was gone. It is n- in no way a coincidence. They became they became a real group uh, that that when Toxic Big Brother was gone, you know the judgmental the prick of the room was out of there. They they had no issues coming together and believing in one another and and now chemistry is one of their strongest attributes of that of that locker room. I think that goes with any workplace again. Like if someone is <laughs> I, what nothing. <laughs> Go on. All right. <laughs> Go on. Okay. Uh, there's a lot of things going on over here. Just the fact that <laughs> I lost my train of thought. No, no, you're it's right. It's applicable <laughs> to every workplace. It yeah. is. Yeah. It yeah. really is. If like, there's negative energy coming from a certain area, it can, it can uh, spread. That's why I brought up the Tulo thing earlier, you know, because it, it really was, it was so weird at the time. And as I never, like, even at the time, I was very critical of, the concept because he was such a talented player and then you see he's retired now and obviously they made the right move to get anything they possibly could for him but it wasn't that slam dunk at the time when he was traded he was still clearly the best player on the Colorado Rockies but what I had started to see from having been down there for about a year and a half at that time was whenever things didn't go well in a long season with 162 games there's that dude every day who's mad at me because I didn't pick up a ground ball three days ago. I didn't make the perfect move or I didn't, you know, and it's, and there's a fine line between, Hey, you're not putting in the work at practice like I am. But, and this was always the Michael Jordan problem too, right? Famously, especially when he was on the wizards, he would have a hard time because no one was working as hard as he was. No one wanted to win as bad as he does. Like, yeah, you're Michael Jordan, like nobody else, you know, and, and Tulo wasn't quite on that level, but those guys do that where I eat, breathe, drink, sleep, baseball. All I think about is baseball. All I want is this. And other guys that have a little bit of lives, you start to hate them for their lives. It creates a, a, a toxicity. Yeah, there's a resentment there when yeah. not all guys are pulling on the rope in the same direction. And back to our conversation about managers, coaches, and all of that, the Rockies never had – it would have been very interesting to see how Bud Black might have been able to try to rein that in. But they never had a manager with strong enough will. Troy Tulowitzki was – the guy who decided what the clubhouse culture was going to be. It, it was that simple. He well, I think in a lot of cases, it's set by your best player, yeah. clubhouse culture. Right. In every sport, probably. Yeah, that that's probably true. Um, guess it's my turn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we'll move on to you, Ryan. I think from Vic Fangio, and we obviously have a small sample size of everything, um, you would have to take his attention to detail. He has a innate ability to just like see everything like see the big picture but like all the little pieces of that go into the big picture and when he was hired he told us like his whole death by inches philosophy and at the time like at the time you just think like oh it's like a coach you know it's just one of those coach speak things death by inches i'm not going to allow this team to, to suffer from death by inches but you realize the more that you you deal with vic fangio that he thinks of every little thing and I think I mentioned this on the first episode of the show but like he has them wearing game jerseys at practice why because he thinks practice jerseys are too easy to grab and that builds a bad habit and etc etc and he's like I've wanted to do that my whole career but none of the coaches I ever worked for liked that idea it's like he's thought of that Um, another little thing that like seems small but he didn't like that there wasn't a scoreboard on the uh, west side of the field so he he just you know did what he had to do to get a scoreboard out of there he's like we need that so we can go both ways and situational um he does all of this stuff and he's very calculated with everything he does and especially um comparing and contrasting it with vance joseph i felt like vance joseph was just like yeah all right well we'll come out here and practice and he never like had a plan he was known as the um players coach in a way but he just didn't have a plan like it's not even about being a players coach or not it's just like where's your organization what are you trying to do what are you trying to accomplish and what are you doing to accomplish that and I think Vic Fangio has thought of everything he wants to do as a head coach and 
he's very, very detail oriented. And, uh, and, uh, I think that's a, a really important quality for him as a coach. I wonder how much that has to do with Vic Fangio just being so much older than Vance Joseph and just having so much more experience. All the experience. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's he's a, seen it before. That's a thing that like, I think if I, we always have the, uh, the alien analogy, uh, on the BS and Broncos podcast, which is like, if an alien came down and didn't know anything, would they think Vic Fangio is a first-year head coach? I don't think they would. He, the way he carries himself, the way the, th- the way he does things, he doesn't seem like a first-year head coach. If an alien came down and that was what the, what was mm-hmm. on their mind, <laughs> first thing we're well, they're go, a big football fan. Broncos They've been watching from up camp, above. Baby. <laughs> so what you're saying is that Vic Fangio kind of views the world in blueprints. I, yeah, I think he just sees everything down to the details. He sees it in blueprints. That's why he hates being on the field. He likes to be up above. Right. They need to stop hanging on. If I'm John Elway, or yeah, I guess John Elway would be the one who makes this decision. I'm just saying, like, dude, just just go coach in the booth. Like, we can handle hmm. things on the sideline. Interesting. I just I don't. Mean, if, if that's what he's comfortable doing, and and so no, we're off of the inflatable. We're off of the inflatable desk. <laughs> <laughs> Look, he the inflatable it, desk it didn't work. The GoFundMe is kind of struggling right now, and so <laughs> we weren't able to get enough supporters. But I'm just saying, like. Why change something that's worked forever? If if a quarterback is great in shotgun their whole life, don't ask them to go under center, Gary Kubiak. You know, like, <laughs> you, they don't need to be under center because they're really good in shotgun. And obviously they ended up winning a Super Bowl that year. It definitely wasn't the offense that I'm referring to. But Vic Fangio, he's amazing from the booth at being a defensive coordinator. But can't you see if he's in the booth and the Broncos lose a couple games out of the gate? People are going to come out and say, oh, your head coach needs to be on the sideline. Well, he I think the other way around is what's going to end up happening is they're going to lose a couple games early in the season, and people are going to say, why isn't he up in the booth? And mm. Vic Fangio is going to yeah. make a comment it's about probably how he's not a comfortable. lose-lose situation. I yeah. just want to see him huck a challenge flag. <laughs> <laughs> he has a slingshot. That's right. Oh. From the, from the booth, like a, or like one of those T-shirt cannons. Yeah. Put so, his challenge flag in that and just fire it at the field. So – the the remedy to that is Mike. You have Mike Munchak, who is a former head coach, yeah. and you just have Mike Munchak roaming the sidelines, and Vic Fangio's in his ear, and he says, "Hey, let's challenge this." Or he could put it in like one of those shoots, like at the bank, where oh, you like see. pull just up, and then <laughs> it just, just goes down to someone on the sideline. Yes, <laughs> it just comes down in a little like. I'm seeing no downsides thing. to any of this. Yeah. Or no, like at the Nuggets games stuff. when they drop the parachute. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> just drop it down in a parachute. Yeah. All right. a scary job, that dude that has to like walk around up there and yeah. like tip him. Mm-mm. It looks so cool. Mm-hmm. I do. I, I do have take to pictures say, though, from up there. I do have to say the one thing about this discussion: none of us said our sports best coach's quality is like X's and O's. So my question is: they all have that, right? But but my question is: is like being elite at X and O's is that an overrated thing in sports? Because I think in the NBA yeah. it is. Absolutely. Um, I, I don't know yeah. about the other sports, though. I think I think Patrick Watt didn't have that. Like, he coached at a junior level, and it was obvious uh, once the NHL kind of adjusted to what he wanted to do that he didn't have anything in the bag, that he was out of he was out of mm-hmm. ideas. But even then, like, they, they were still competitive every year under him. Yeah. So that's a great example of the X's and O's just didn't – they were strategic. The way they played the game was not was not supposed to be anything close to competitive, and they almost made the playoffs all three years he was coach. Yeah, like Michael Malone is really good in X's and O's, but no, you've got to be at least at a certain level to be a coach. Yeah, in the well, NBA. And, and like I think Bednar's a really solid X's and O's coach, and yet the the Avs haven't like. 48-point season, and then they squeak into the last playoff spot two years in a row. So it's not like they've had major, like, advanced amount of success over a guy that was bad X's and O's. Um, Henry Chisholm just <laughs> walked in here looking like he's the off man. of Pebble Beach I shooting know, around. Right. With a lint roller. I just yeah, why do you have a lint roller with in the your lint hand. rollers. I'm wearing black shorts, and I realized when I got to Buffs practice this morning that they were just covered in – I don't really know what they're covered in, but they're covered in something. I don't even have, like, a cat. <laughs> what? what you been doing uh, with uh, your pants? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's Hank Chisholm. <laughs> Where have they been? Uh, Thanks for coming in, Hank. <laughs> uh, I do prefer Hank. I'm, I'm on Team Hank. Hashtag. Hank instead of um, Henry. This yeah. is a big discussion uh, here at the office. Henry been, or Hank? His real name is it's, Henry. It's Henry. It's <laughs> I'm Team Harold. Oh, wow. Hank is Harold a doctor Chisholm. and a beast. Harrison, Anyways. do you have an opinion on that one? Hank or Henry? 
I think it should definitely be Henry. <laughs> right. no. You can evolve into Hank once you've like you know in twenty years when, when you're a, Pokemon? a national <laughs> writer covering college football. Aren't we all? Yeah. Okay. Real back. quick. Real quick. Okay. So we have Hank a coach who is. No, I got the list already. Don't take my job. <laughs> I, I had a follow-up. I'll let you do that, and then. All we'll right. Go. So we've got. Nuggets coach, a personable, relatable. So we'll put these all together. Personable, relatable, politician, composure, level-headedness, and attention to detail as our super coach. Wait, can you do that again? They kind of all ran together. Okay. Personable. <laughs> that's the point, right? Relatable. Are those two different ones, together. or is that? So that, that that's okay. that's Michael that Malone. He, Michael Malone. He connects. Like he connects with his players. Sport? No, just I just I, I got confused because I felt like there was five <laughs> things. <laughs> Okay, so for Nuggets, it was personable, being relatable. For Rockies, politician. Avs, composure and level-headedness. And then Broncos, attention to detail. Okay. Yeah. So you put all those things together. Which team would this coach Which team the needs best? this coach the most? The Broncos. The Broncos. Yeah, the Broncos, Broncos need this coach. <laughs> I mean, the, w- the one that hasn't made the playoffs. Well, I do think w- the <laughs> yeah. characteristics we kind of went over were – everything you want if you're hiring a coach to start like a program and start a rebuild and set a culture if you're looking for a coach just listen to this podcast (laughs) yeah (laughs) send us royalties you don't have to spend that like million dollars or whatever it costs to hire a search firm right like listen to this listen to this show and you can kind of just we got you which close which coach is the closest to having all of them probably Hmm. malone malone's got a lot of them yeah yeah I wonder how good this coach is. I feel like he's missing a few things. I, th- I think I think Buddy's pretty close, but I, I think the one thing that uh, – and this is something we haven't really talked too much about. It gets a little more back to the X's and O's thing is that, like, forward-thinking adaptability. I, I think he's really good at, at all of the – like, and from an X's and O's standpoint, a lot of the forward-thinking adaptability is actually more on the front office. Honestly, that's what's so weird is in baseball you've got a bunch of – other people influencing literally how you play on the field like shifts and stuff are decided before games that's not an in-game strategic decision so a lot of what he does is like bud's like shift 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 guys, yeah, go, right go. right <laughs> <laughs> right right that's not happening at all they've, and they've all got those cards now they pull out of their pocket and like check to see where they're supposed to go stand and that's all decided on they need to get the qb ones so they don't have to pull it out of their pocket Ooh, there's yeah. a little qb wristband yeah. has it right there uh, but right now for example I think you could point to, I mean, the other night they won a baseball game. The very first time they had Wade Davis come in the sixth inning, they finally made Scott Oberg their closer, and you wonder if they'd have done that a month and a half ago, they might still be in this thing. And so I I, I think some of those things, he could stand to be a little more aggressive and proactive in changing things. But I also do think that um, Bud Black has done – the most Herculean task of any of the, uh, of the people that we've talked about in this room. He took an organization who, for the entire history of their franchise, could not pitch, and he took them to back-to-back postseasons in Major League Baseball in the National League West with that team out there with those Dodgers and, and was able to uh, win 91 games. It's very impressive to me, but, yeah, I, 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 I got it. for his career, though. That's also true. I mean, he right. uh, he had he's some mediocre years in San Diego. He's yeah, he's only ever he's only ever had a ninety win team twice. Right, and he's only ever had four teams over five hundred. Right, and he's in his twelfth year as a manager. We're not talking about a guy that's setting the world on fire here. No, like, no, a solid manager, sure, but like not one who's experienced an overwhelming amount of success. It does remind me a lot of George Carl, a guy who could take a bad team and turn them into a pretty good team. Won, he went to the, George Carl spent a lot of his career in the postseason, though. Right, but he got knocked also, out in the first also round. Also, in the NBA, half the teams in the league exactly. make the NBA easier to make the postseason. <laughs> exactly. For sure. Bud Black's that. got a lot of 85, 86 win seasons where in the NBA, you know, that gets you in the top half. That gets you in, but not that many teams make the postseason. So he's baseball. coaching the po- managing the Padres. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, and and yeah, he's never had the most aggressive money backing from his ownership or or the most aggressive front offices either. So, you know, and he's and he's always played in a division with the damn Dodgers, who used to be a joke for a little while there no. when he was in San Diego and he won the division one of those years. But can't relate. <laughs> can't Don't know what it's like to win the division. Can't relate. 
All right. Well, ha- you guys should tweet at us. Let us know who you think of this super coach should what team he would be the best coaching at or she. I should just yeah. say he. Mm. You got to add the she in there. But we're going to take a quick break before our final segment of Who Won the Week. Hey, guys, it's Allie and Lindsay here, and we want to talk to you about our new favorite wine subscription. It is Winester. The best thing about Winester is that they work with small wineries. You know BSN loves supporting small local businesses, and Winester is just that, supporting real people making real wine. These guys will curate a hand-picked shipment for you from the best small wine producers in the U.S. So my favorite part about Winester is the fact that I don't really know much about wine, and when I go to a liquor store, I tend to gravitate towards the same wine I've always had instead of trying something new. But with Winester, they make the process so easy. That's exactly right, Allie. And from my perspective, you guys, I love wine and have tried so many different types of wine at different price points. And Winester is not only easy, but it is quite literally some of the best wine I've ever tasted, and it makes for an amazing gift. What's also ideal about Winester is that you can pick your shipments based on your schedule. That's right, Allie. So whether you're a casual drinker or you love hosting parties, you can get your shipment based on your lifestyle. So head to their website today, you guys. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R, Winester.com. We've got BSN25 promo code for you, and you can save $25 off your first order. Welcome back into the show. I feel like this segment should have a song. Mm. Who won the week? Pleasure Horse, where are you at? <laughs> there we go. <laughs> <laughs> All what right. about that like win song by... Uh, All I do is win. J-Rock. Yeah. Win, win, win. That's, was, like, oh, that's, that's played a, at every sport. That was the right? absolute win, win song win, this no last year. Yeah. I think it was the Nuggets, too. That, one, that song <laughs> sucks. Yeah. yeah. But if I was a rapper, I'd just like try to make Pick a, a word s- and just repeat it a <laughs> bunch. Just make a song that's playable after every win for every sports team. Seems like that could be lucrative. It can also go into, like, politics. and <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you could really use it everywhere. But all right. Who won the week? We're going to talk about who the fans voted who won the week last week. It was between Broncos. Argument was Pat Bolin and Champ Bailey being inducted into the Hall of Fame. Pretty much a bulletproof a argument. That's a good <laughs> week. <laughs> Rockies was. As bulletproof as their bronze busts. <laughs> Can't do anything about that. Nope. Rockies was John Gray's performance against the Dodgers. Nuggets, we got Jamal Murray officially signing his extension, and Avs, <laughs> Sampo Ranta doing well at the World World Juniors Summer Showcase. Also known as Rambo Santa. Rambo he, Santa. He Rambo. That could be good. Rambo. He and he got even better after we stopped talking about. It. Like he took your nomination for winning the week and mm-hmm. w- and was really honored by that and took his game up to another level. Yep, finished uh, as a second leading scorer in that tournament or in that showcase, not tournament. It's kind of a small sample size though. 5 games. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sampo size. Oh. Yeah. Okay. All right, we had 1252 people vote in this poll. And for the first week, for the first time, the Broncos won the week by 46% but yeah. the Avs got 35% and we're right there. Sure. The Rockies had 11% and the Nuggets had 8%. I think we need to redo how these votes are <laughs> tallied. <laughs> should be a wage system. It should be uh, like votes per. BSN per Rockies <laughs> has already uh, had all their luck in, in uh, winning polls. Uh, hey, tourney champions, baby. <laughs> All right, so we are. Tyler in Utah is not happy about that. <laughs> no. Oh wow! All right, that's we'll enough of that. <laughs> All right, so we'll have Broncos start the week this week. I said week a lot. Who won the week? <laughs> this week. You want to talk about how weak my argument is? Who, who won? Yes, what? I do. Uh, I don't think this is cheating, but I'm going back to Canton. Uh, being there, I kind of had a unique perspective on things, and so I'm going to I'm going to narrow down. And say that Champ Bailey won the week. It started on Thursday with the game. I walked into Tom Benson Hall of Fame Stadium, and I have never seen the number 24 so much in one place, except for maybe like a Lakers game. But uh, everyone was wearing Champ Bailey jerseys there. It was you have so 30 seconds, cool to see. So. Then on Friday, he got his gold jacket, which was amazing. And then on Saturday is when he really won the week. Uh, during his speech, for his acceptance, I thought he nailed it, um, talking about some societal issues and, and you know, encouraging 
white people to listen to their black brethren uh, on the issues that they're having. And I thought he really just stole the entire show w- with that speech. <sighs> he finished with eight seconds to go. Oh, I really felt like I had like two <laughs> seconds left. <laughs> I know. That was, really, yeah. I know. That was good. Really, uh, squeezing it in at the last second there. Power through it. His Clash. speech was very powerful. It was cool to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I thought it was, it was a, uh, something that people needed to hear. All right, Drew, we'll move on to you. All right, I'm going to lose this argument, uh, but I'm. I look, this is the one that needs to be made. Yeah, I could argue. Hey, look, they beat the Giants in the series. They're actually playing decent. Like Nolan Arenado's foot is hicks- fixed, and he's hit like three home runs in the last three games. Uh, that stuff's all cool or whatever. But look, the season's not not salvageable at this point. The Rockies won the week, and no one's going to believe me that this is true. Like I said, I'm going to lose this poll. I know it already. All right, but you they, have 40 seconds. They won the week. Because they didn't do anything stupid at the trade deadline. And they're one of the very few teams in Major League Baseball that didn't do something stupid and panicky at the trade deadline based on a really bad month that they just had. And I know a lot of people are frustrated. They didn't move out some of the troubling contracts, but that wasn't really on the table. Teams were calling asking for Charlie Blackman and John Gray and Scott Oberg, and they did the right thing and not blowing up their core and deciding that they're going to rebuild because they're super frustrated by the way they've played this season. So not moving on from guys like Blackman, most especially John Gray and Scott Oberg, who it sounds like teams were coming after hard. The fact that the Rockies Time. stood their ground, that's why they won the week. <laughs> I, I think that's a, a good argument. Yeah, it's solid. Um, yeah, I don't good think that them. was as bad as the 20 seconds you took to explain how bad it was Good going for them to be. for really finally <laughs> not being stupid. <laughs> Sometimes the best move is the move you don't make. Right. Oh, there we go. Really quick, though, there's this shirt that they're selling in Houston, and it says, prospects are cool, parades are better. And I just think it's dope. That's neat, but it's really weird because the Houston Astros are literally internally built. Like, I know they just picked up Zach Greinke and they, they did the Justin Verlander thing. But they were all built on prospects. They're all right. built on prospects. I know, like. but everyone <laughs> criticized them for how much they gave up for Verlander. And then they got a championship. Right. Uh, I mean, yeah, You once you've already built yourself up to that point, you can do it. When you're eight games under 500, that's not when you make a trade for Zach Greinke or, or Justin Verlander. So... I think that's right, but the Rockies have to build on prospects. It's the only way they've ever been successful. All right, Harrison. All right, the Nuggets won the week because they're playing on Christmas for the first time since 2012. Uh, The Christmas Day games leaked uh, this week, or I guess kind of last week, but Denver will be hosting uh, Zion Williamson and uh, the Pelicans on Christmas this year. I was a little surprised because, like, they passed over the Jazz for a Christmas Day matchup, and the Jazz have been getting a lot of hype. But I think it's just a, a reminder that people took note, and the schedule makers took note of the Nuggets' run to the Western Conference semifinals uh, last season, and uh, their high expectations are definitely warranted. But you know, people are expecting a lot out of them this year, and uh, you know, Christmas Day is usually reserved for kind of the the cream of the crop of the NBA, the best players, the best teams. And uh, the Nuggets are in that group. So um, the Nuggets won the week because they're playing on Christmas this year. Christmas in August. Yeah. Really quick, um, the Avs, unless this is your argument, you can stop me. But as it relates to national TV, doubling their national TV games from last year and you don't times 12 from yeah. two years ago. AJ's not happy. Not as much fun as it sounds. Why? I don't, I don't well, it's like, not fun for it's you. Cool, it's fun the for me. Exposure, yeah. yeah. Yeah, the exposure is neat, but that means you have to put up with an NBC broadcast crew, which is sure. terrible and doesn't know what they're talking about. It also means you have to put up with late start times, which are also mm. terrible. The late start times are the That's thing that annoys me about the Broncos n- Nuggets open the national at TV games. Yeah. Yeah, th- I'm I'm good on the whole. Eight thirty TV, TV thing. Because it's different for you though. Yeah, I, a, I don't. From the I media don't perspective, care. it kind of sucks. I know Rockies fans hate when they're on national TV because all they ever hear is some guy who's never watched their baseball team talk about Coors Field all right. day. So like, they're well, <laughs> they don't have to worry about it. And much. Just <laughs> mispronounce a bunch of players' names. Yeah, well, that happens like, a lot. And no one on hockey by that. Happens it happens all the time. Like they couldn't get Gabe Landeskog's name right during the first round against the Flames last year. What were they calling him? All kinds of different things, man. There was somebody who had somebody somebody had like a running tally of the various names he got called, and it's like Landis Cog's been around since t- 2011. Like this is a known guy. Yeah. So it was yeah for me the the NBC broadcasts and the national stuff in the NHL was really bad. So uh, it's just cool though that like the team is being respected on a national level. Oh yeah, everywhere you turn, 
you know, uh, Vegas, betting lines, national TV, all that. Everybody loves the Avs right now. So I assume that's not why you chose them to win the week. Honestly, I would pick Champ Bailey, too. I think I think I well honestly yeah. I think, wow Champ I think, well, I, think so I think what Champ Bailey had to say was more important yeah. than Sam Gerrard getting paid, so yeah. personally. Uh, but if I have to pick an Avs one, obviously it's Sam Gerrard getting paid. Uh, a seven-year deal, five million dollars. He hasn't done a he hasn't done a ton early on in his career, uh, but at 21, he's now financially set for life. Uh, he's got $5 million coming to him the next seven years, no matter what, because of how NHL contracts work. That sounds nice. And, yeah, and the Avs, the Avs get a top-pairing, second-pairing defenseman, depending on how Bowen Byram ends up, for the until he's 29 years old. You know, they have him all the way through his 20s. They have him through the heart of his prime. And it's a great deal for the team, and it's a great deal for the player, and it should be one of the most cost-efficient defenseman deals in the entire league by the time it's done. And it's great for him because two years ago he was a he was a prospect in an organization in a system where he wasn't going to get a lot of playing time. Ten seconds. And he wasn't going to go anywhere. And now he's one of the young faces of one of the NHL's top up-and-coming teams. So when I make this poll on Twitter, should I say, AJ voted Champ Bailey, but this was his argument for yeah. Sam Gerrard. <laughs> sure. I thought what Champ Bailey had to say was awesome. and it definitely was. And I thought that that was more important than – whatever whatever sports stuff that we can come up with and yeah. i think i think it was really cool because uh, that we haven't necessarily seen that side of champ la before yeah. and i really felt like he felt this is my last chance to be on a stage this big yeah and i i need to take this to share a message that means a lot to me well what i think i think f- there will be people out there that always complain about platform and uh, stick to sports and don't get into that stuff but i like i like that it didn't feel preachy mm-hmm. it felt genuine and honest and just like hey just listen right it was like he was just asking he wasn't yeah, telling right asking please listen and and i thought it was an honest moment and i thought it was i, th- I thought it was pretty moving agreed yeah all right well i think that's all we've got for today's show be sure to subscribe to the denver sports podcast feed it won't be showing up in all of our team feeds all the time so be sure to do that leave us a rating comment let us know what you guys think of the podcast and we'll see you next week tucked away from the city raccoon creek is your go-to golf course their location in littleton provides more than just a beautiful golfing experience they have the perfect setting for year-round events with unbelievable views it's a fun place to golf there's a different atmosphere it's a really nice course and it's fast greens they have a good crew there so it's always in good shape they're having uh, comedy shows. They got like this really cool fire pit in the back now. It's changed a lot. There's a whole, whole new patio that has like the best views in Colorado. I think you can just see the mountains, you see the golf course. You know, kind of like Cheers. Everybody knows your name and your handicap. That was Todd. He's been golfing at Raccoon Creek for years now, and it's his favorite golf course in the area because of the environment that they've created. Raccoon Creek has embraced technology, adding golf board rentals to their course, as well as updating their golf carts to be equipped with GPS that provides score updates of sporting events and live scoring for outings and tournaments. They also have an app where you can schedule tee times, receive happy hour specials, and stay up to date on all of their upcoming events. Download their app today and receive a free bucket of balls or check them out online at raccooncreek.com. Is zero at zero five hundred is going to be something that I think about the rest of the day.